This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Is Everyone Happier Than Me? An Honest Guide to the Questions That Keep You Up at Night. Written and narrated by Sarah Bragg and available everywhere March 19th. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Are you ready for hashtag blessed? A new segment on every episode of Viral Jesus where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag blessed or hashtag mess. Joining me for our hashtag blessed today is my husband, Seth Day, who is known online as the original Sad King. So Sad King, I want to talk today in our hashtag blessed about the idea of paying for followers. Mm. Is that a blessing or a curse? What do you think? I think it's complicated. Okay. Why is it complicated? I think it's complicated because first of all, uh, Online is the norm today, especially. Right. So using social media is the norm um, of one of the main ways in which we're evangelizing, right? These next generations. And so within that, you have to ask, is that ethical or is that unethical is what you're presenting today in this new uh, growing wide uh, field of just evangelism? And so I think it's complicated because of this, Heather. When I was pastoring and we moved to Denver, one of the first things that happened was a member walked me out to the front of the church and they showed me this big, beautiful digital sign, right? Right. In an attempt to keep current. And they told me about this sign and all the things it could do and all the flashy lights and and digital features that we could do. Okay, Seth, hold on. I got to stop you. Are you trying to compare somebody buying followers to... A church buying a church sign, you think those are, you think those are two comparable well, things? No, I think one's advertising and one you're buying followers. In an ad, it literally says, this is an advertisement. It's a sponsored mm. post. So there's transparency. Okay. But what's the end goal? Is the end goal the same? What if you believe that you have a message that you need to get out there? I don't think it's the same because, okay, I would equate it to a pastor paying people to park in his parking lot. Okay. To make it look like there's a ton of people. Oh my goodness, I got to go there. Look at all those cars. And then paying people to sit in the pews. To me, that's unethical. It's not transparent. Okay, so, and I'm just going to take the other side of this for the sake of this conversation today. Uh-huh, and I'll, uh-huh. and I'll, tell you how I, I'll tell you how I feel Real at the end Real devil's of it. advocate here yeah, today, I see. exactly. <laughs> so do not social media influencers, they may not be giving money, but there is an unspoken exchange that goes on and say, hey, will you share my content with the expectation, what, that you're going to share theirs when their book or their whatever they're working on comes out so that you can get that around. You may not be paying with physical like cash as a currency, but you're 
paying in a way with favors. And so I'm asking the point is what? To get people to follow you in the ministry. I would equate that to a pastor saying, hey, next week, I want you to bring a friend. Uh, If you enjoyed this service, I want you to bring a friend. There's no, we're not forcing anybody. We're just saying, hey, if you enjoy my content, would you mind sharing it? And I'll make sure I share yours because I enjoy your content. To me, it's it's still transparent. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm with you. Okay. You're, You're persuading me communication professor. <laughs> I yeah. teach persuasion, so I hope It's kind so. of like in Bible times when they used to, what you're saying is kind of like when very wealthy people would pay certain mourners to come uh, after perhaps the death of a loved one or something, and they were grieving to really have this display of look how bad we're hurt, but also it was a sign of their wealth. And so they would mourn and make a scene. And in other words, all the attention would be on them because mm, what we're going through yeah. is so uh, devastating and so and so significant because look at us, we're wealthy people as well going through this. And so it's it, like yeah, mourners. exactly paid mourners and there and there's more to it than that, but a, in a nutshell. And so you're saying we're kind of paying people to come in, in a weird way. Or bots, right? Whatever. (laughs) Here's the thing. And this is what I want to say. I have never paid for followers. The reason is, A, it's very important to me, especially because Mm. so much of what I do has to do with ministry, to Mm. know what was me and what was God. Right. And I don't want to run ahead of God. I want whatever has been added or multiplied to my platform is the word or community. I just, I want to know that that was God and it wasn't me trying to force something because would you agree that it can be a danger I do to explode yes. overnight? I think most people who have actually gone viral overnight, we can do a viral one later if that's a blessing or a curse, but I think most people who have gone viral, I have gone viral. It's hard and you're going to get mm. so much that you'd never thought criticism that you never yeah. thought that you'd receive. Sure. If I was advising, right, my student, they're like, hey, I'm sure. thinking, and this is all I want to say. We're not judging anybody. Sure. You guys can do whatever you want. But I do want to mm-hmm. say, if you were my student or you were my friend and you were asking me for advice, I would say, let God multiply that which should be multiplied. And there is mm-hmm. so much, I'm telling you, I have gained so much wisdom and experience doing mm. work that nobody ever saw me do and nobody ever clapped for me for. I just read in Genesis that when Isaac reaped, he reaped a hundredfold in one year, right? So when God puts his hand to it, even if nobody has seen the work you've been doing for the last several years, when God puts his hand to it, wow. you can reap a hundredfold in a single year. And so trust his timing. Sure. So, well, I mean, Christ, he goes out right after the one. And so yes. do your ministry for the one. For the one. I love that. So hashtag blessed or hashtag mess. You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blast on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. Hello there. How are you doing? Are you feeling okay? Let's assess what our mood and our energy is as we go into this conversation. Welcome to the second week of our six-week podcast journey. Our topic today is healing from the life I thought 
I'd have. And I couldn't think of a better person to tap on this conversation than my online friend, Chanel Dokun. She is the author of the book, Life Starts Now, not later. Your life, friend, it starts right now. She is an author. She's a life planner and a relationship expert, trained in marriage and family therapy, by the way. And she is the co-founder of Healthy Minds NYC, a thriving group therapy practice in Manhattan. And I wanted to sit down with her and talk about how we can embrace the life we have and stop wishing our lives were different. I am someone who did this for years, for years. I truly believed my life would start later. I can remember just thinking, okay, well, Heather, your life will start when you finish your PhD. Or if you have a big ministry, that's when your life will start. Or, oh, when you get this book published, that's when life begins. And I had lunch one day with a friend of mine and I had just gotten, I don't know, like my 15th rejection on the book I wrote, It's Not Your Turn. And I'm sitting there at lunch with her, tears in my eyes. And she said to me, Heather, your anointing begins the day you believe you have one. You have to stop thinking that life starts when you reach some metaphorical there. Life is available to you right now. And I literally, I walked across my campus after that conversation. I can remember just thinking, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna teach this class, God, as if you've anointed me to be there. I'm gonna teach this class as if it's the most important thing I am ever going to do in my entire life. And I just kept showing up to my life that way. And here's the thing, on the surface, nothing changed. But year one went by and year two, year three, and all of a sudden I realized that I had changed. I was showing up to my own life. I was living my life. And so I am just so hopeful as you listen to this conversation that it will speak to you. Here is our conversation. It's conversation number two on our pod class journey toward healing. Now is the time to pause and send this to a friend who you know may need to hear this conversation. I have titled it, Healing from the Life You Thought You'd Have. So Chanel, I always start these interviews by searching through someone's social media and finding a post that really resonates with me and then asking them to expand on it. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Uh-oh. For you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For you, I found this post on your Instagram and and you say this. At the core of the desire for significance is the lie that you are not good enough right now as you are. This lie severs the soul from reality. I want to talk to you today about how we can heal from the life we thought we should be living or the life we thought we'd have by now. And I, it kind of sounds like that post that you have right here, which is that lie that there's nothing significant for me here right now. Can you talk to me about that? Have you experienced that feeling? What, what got you into this conversation as a whole with the women and stuff that you work with? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad you chose that one. <laughs> of all the posts <laughs> you could have chosen. Thank you, Lord, for that. Yeah. Um, 
No, that moment really for me was rooted in the work that I'm doing with women with life planning, right? And so much of what I encounter with real women in therapy rooms and in, you know, life planning rooms is this idea that their life as it stands is not good enough. And they're Mm. constantly receiving this message of, I'm supposed to be other. And so there's this constant dissociation from the life that they're presently living and this perpetual desire to be someone else, to look a certain way, to have certain things that don't belong to them, to be in this like other state. Mm. And I think that inability to actually inhabit their own skin has, for me, as kind of the guide in the room, and then certainly for me personally as the person experiencing it as well, I think I've just been so heartbroken to see the way that they're missing out on the beauty of their ordinary life Mm -hmm. and how unable they are to actually um, live with more meaning and with more joy because they can't see what's right before them. So I think that lie that we're not enough or we don't have enough or we're not doing enough, um, our whole like abundance-seeking mindset culture, right? Yeah. I think that's really a lie that we're supposed to be chasing something else rather than I want to be in a place where we don't live out of scarcity. We recognize that what we have right now is sufficient. And how do we actually come to both honor what we have now and then to elevate and amplify the good that exists in our life already? And where do you think this does come from? Because I resonate with this completely with Mm -hmm. that idea of constantly feeling like life starts for me over there and then not living what I have right here. Who is teaching us this? Where are we learning this? Yeah, it's, um, it's all of us, right? I want to, there's a part of me that wants to go like, it's the media or something, you know, right? right? (laughs) Um, It's like the technology people. Um, I feel like I, I write in Life Starts Now, my book about this concept of dissociation. And it's something we talk a lot about in therapy. And it's kind of that out of body, you know, kind of gives you the heebie jeebies experience. But when you're feeling like I'm here, but I'm not here. And I think that we have a regular habit in our culture now of not being present in our current lives. So we do all of these things all day long that take us out of the moment. We pick up our phones and we're looking at text messages. And so I'm not having a conversation with the person who's sitting in front of me. Mm. I'm not being present to what's happening at my desk or, you know, in the car as I'm driving. I'm thinking about what this other person said in another space for another time. I look at social media and I'm scrolling through everybody else's lives or I'm posting (laughs) about moments of my past or moments of my future that I'm anticipating, but very little of it is honoring my present experience. And so I think that pattern of like habituated dissociation Sorry, it feels like a <laughs> too too. There's much no of a term. quiz. There is yeah. no quiz on this, friends. Right, right. You can you can all get an A already. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's that idea of that constant dissociation we're experiencing. I think then leads us to feel like at least what I hear women say because that's who I mostly work with. Women wake up and they tell me, "I don't know who I am," and mm. I'm like, "Well, of course you don't know who you are. You haven't spent any time in your own life." how can you possibly know who you are? Right. So I think it's, you know, a little bit of technology. I think it's a little bit of what we've normalized as um, the way to live. 
even now in the midst of our pandemic, I will say like post-pandemic starting and the way that we've shifted in our lifestyles, we have this interesting um, combination of parts of our lives, right? We're like working remotely. So we're at home, but we're not at home. All these things that have kind of reinforced that idea of not being present. Wow. There's so much here that we could continue on because I totally agree with you with the cell phone and how it's it's constantly making us feel like, actually, it is training us to believe that this isn't enough because yeah. that's why I need the apps, right? There's always something else better happening out there. Right. But then what's happening to us inside? So what is like the first step for somebody who's listening right now and they're like, I want to live my life. I want my life to start right now. Yes. What, what's the first thing we can do? Yeah. So I think first, I always say that we can't treat what we haven't diagnosed and we can't mm. diagnose what we haven't assessed, right? So I think it all starts at the point of doing an audit of your life. That's where I often start with clients is looking at how am I actually spending my time? Like, is this true for me? So I would take a beat and actually look through a typical day in your life and go, how disconnected am I really? How does this show up in my life? And then if you can you know, acknowledge what I think most people will, that we all do it all the time. So you're not an anomaly. We all have these right. moments of disconnection. I think hunting for a radical focus and a radical commitment to being present in your own life in some way. So I have, you know, throwing out a suggestion, I'd say that like I have a practice in my life. I call it my reclaim the morning practice. And it's how I start my day. I know that once I get off to the races, I'm going to be pulled into everyone else's story. So I try to make sure that I start my day in my own story and that I focus on my own voice. I amplify my voice so that it's the loudest one in my own life. Alongside that, amplifying what God is telling me in my life. And yeah use those two things to guide me and set my priorities. And then I'm able to move out into my day and all the demands um, because I know that is a sacred pause that's kind of necessary in my life. Okay. You just said something that made light bulbs go off in my brain. What? For how many of us is our own voice, not the loudest voice in our lives? Right. What do we do with that? How do we reclaim that to even know what our own... The first thing we do when we wake up is check our phones. So I'm being inundated with tons of other people's voices constantly telling me what I should be pissed off about, what I should be sad about, what I should be happy about. And how often are we checking in with our own voice? Yes. You're a communications expert, right? So it's like in the space of whoever's got the mic, you know, they're speaking the loudest, right? They're yeah. the ones that are shouting for us. And we kind of relinquish the mic all the time in our life. Yes. We let other people speak. And so you're right. We check our phones. And so then, you know, Instagram tells me what I'm supposed to feel. I often have gone, I had this really funny moment. I was living in New York City and I was working in Midtown. I'd gotten to work early in about the 20s. And from um, the 20s, you can see the Empire State Building. And so I was looking at the Empire State Building and there was this helicopter circling around. And I remember thinking there were all these sirens and then the helicopter. And I was like, something is going on. And in the city, this is always, you know, there's always something. And I remember <laughs> thinking, should I be afraid? 
And I grabbed my phone instinctively to check social media to see what was going on. And it was an interesting moment of like, I literally disconnected from the fact that I was physically in a space next to other people. Wow. I didn't assess the situation for myself. And I actually chose to go, how am I supposed to feel about this? What should I be thinking about it based on what Instagram is telling me or Twitter is saying is happening in this moment? And I thought, you know, that's such a great example of what I think so many of us do all the time. We tune into other voices and we go, you tell me how to feel. You tell me how to evaluate my life. Oh my goodness. Rather than me setting that kind of evaluation or, or making that assessment for myself. And no wonder we think we're not enough. Yeah. Yeah. We're living as if that's true hours. And I mean, our screens will report for us how much time we're spending on the phone, but it's hours and hours of our day. Talk to me about your book, which I'm super excited about. Life Starts Now. What made you write that book? Thank you so much. I'm so excited about it. I really wanted to create a space that kind of replicates a lot of what I do for women one-on-one. So I've Mm. been taking women through this life planning process. We spend two days together. We give them a ton of perspective and help them get insight on, you know, what their talents are, how they're wired, what they want. (laughs) Give them a very clear sense of their identity as well as language to attach to their unique identity. And then from there, we work on like, well, what's your big life purpose statement? And so we discover that. What's the intention that God potentially has for your life? And then after that, we really work through, well, how do we get you there? (laughs) So what's the plan Mm -hmm. to help you better embody your own life? And I've been doing that one-on-one, and I've seen the power of that transformation and how unique it is for women to be able to have a space where they can ask those questions rather than being told the answers by the rest of culture, right? And I thought, well, I would love for this to become more available to people if I could just capture this on the page. And so really that's why I wrote it. And also I wanted to invite women into this life of consequence, this idea of we don't have to all look the same. Success is not the same for everyone to remind them that they're already significant, but you have something unique and special to offer the world. And if you could latch on to that, I think you'd experience more personal satisfaction. But also I do think that the world will be, you know, transformed if you can step into your own wholeness and make the impact that you're meant to make. You just said something about finding language yeah, to describe what we're experiencing. And I want to go to that in a second. But first, I want to ask you, as a life planner, at least for me, I'm seeing I'm a college professor. And something I say to people all the time is when I first started teaching, I loved teaching because it was like this magic pixie fairy dust land where everybody thought they could be anything and do anything, right? And and nobody had really been told no yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, my students would always say like, why can't we do X, Y, and Z? Some like just massive initiative. And I would list reasons and they're like, no, like we can do it. And they would just try to do things. And in this last year, I've noticed people not dreaming anymore. People really feeling stuck to even know what they want to study themselves, to even know why they're at college at all. What are you seeing right now as far as people feeling like they're stuck? Are you experiencing that? Are you hearing that with people more than typical? And what can we do to get unstuck? Yeah, I think I 
totally am hearing that. I've probably heard it a lot just because that's why a lot of people come to me, but it has amplified in the past couple of years. You're right about that. And I'll say that my suspicion is that we are more aware than maybe ever of so many of the dysfunctions that are happening in the world. All of the big isms Mm. are kind of falling apart. All of the things that have kind of held our society together, I think this new generation um, is questioning it a little bit more, um, has a distrust of it. And then I think generally in the water, we're all kind of going like, I don't know that things are supposed to work that way. Or this is terrible. We're all in a dumpster fire. What do we do about it? Right. And so I think that higher awareness of the problems is Mm. leading to a paralysis of, I don't quite know how to move forward. And I actually think that's what's so critical and maybe where I think people get a breath of fresh air when they've, at least from what I've heard, when people have been reading the book and when they go through the life planning process is they'll say to me, it's so nice to know that I don't have to be God. Like I don't have to tackle everything that all of the problems of the world are not meant for me to solve, but that there is a particular um, area of equipping (laughs) and a particular area of calling that is meant for me. And so I can honor the fact that other problems are happening, but I don't have to be paralyzed because I can't solve that thing that's going on over there in that part of the world or in this part of my neighborhood or my family. I can focus on what I can do. And that level of intentionality becomes something that creates a lot of momentum. You talk about helping people find language to describe the deepest longings of their heart. Tell me what that means. And I I love the phrase because as a communication person, so much, I just think what we need is vocabulary to even help us say what we know we're experiencing, but we don't have the words for it. So talk, I loved that phrase, find language to describe the deepest longings of their heart. What does that look like for you and your practice? Okay. So I will, maybe some of your students and stuff will appreciate this too, because I totally nerd out. I'm a previous English major. um, And this actually comes out of my perspective from, there's like theory within um, literature about structuralism. And I think about a writer, um, theorist, Desasso, who talked about this a lot, but the idea that our language can construct our reality is kind mm-hmm. of the, the phrase that I hold on to. And so I think if we don't have language to describe something, we actually see that it's difficult for us to engage it <laughs> in reality. And once we can put language to something, we're like, oh, I'm not just feeling angry. I feel frustrated. That level of language and specificity yes. helps create nuance in my life right? I'm not just, you know, happy. I'm experiencing joy. It's not related to the specific occurrence, right? So those kinds of things, language matters. And so with clients, I found that when we can attach language to your purpose, you're not just generally here to love God or to be a good example in the world, or, you know, I want to help others, great. Welcome to humanity. That is what we all are here to do, right? Mm. If you can attach language to it that is so specific, that can actually help direct your actions in a way that's really useful. So I'll give you a little example of please, like um, my life purpose statement, for example. When I went through the life planning process, the thing that we came up with is I exist to identify brokenness and share ideas to empower wholeness and facilitate cultural transformation. 
And that can sound really lofty, but the truth is it's something I do every day in every circumstance. I do it with my little boy who's seven years old. We're trying to teach him how to tie a shoe. I identify brokenness. I tell him that is not how that works, honey. (laughs) Here's Mm. an idea. Let's try the rabbit ears. I share ideas, right? And we try to get him to a place where he can be a whole functional kid so he can go off in the world and make his impact, right? So sometimes it looks like that. And then sometimes it looks as dramatic as I'm helping a couple in therapy work through, here's why your relationship is dysfunctional. And here's a better way of you two having that conversation and managing conflict. And now if your marriage can be more whole, if you can relate more deeply to each other with empathy, now you can go out and be a safe place for your rest of your family, for your friends. You can be better at work, right? So the scale and scope can change. But that all goes back to this idea of language. So I know when I show up in a room, my job is to call out what the brokenness is. My job is to say, Mm -hmm. this is what's not working. And that gives me such peace and it gives me such direction. Then there's a whole bunch of things that I'm not here to do. Somebody else is going to bring the energy in this way, right? I don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about that. And so that's kind of the gift that I want to give to, you know, the readers and what I want to give to all my clients is that level of specificity for their own life. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19 and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, Your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. A big question, but how do you help people identify that for themselves? So our listener right now who's on a walk or at the gym or in their office or driving in their car, and they're trying to figure out, I don't know why I'm here. Yeah. Right? What's the first piece of advice that you would give them as to where they start? Yeah. So I think carving out space, as I mentioned before, I think that Mm. reclaim the morning space is really important. Um, we even created like a reclaim the morning course because we're trying to help oh, people I love that. like practically implement it. Right. Like I'm not a morning person, just by the way, I cannot tolerate mornings. <laughs> we don't go together. That is not my ministry, but um, I've learned to become that because I've realized how important it is in my life to have these spaces where I can amplify my voice. And so that's the first step is I think what I find is people actually know more about themselves than they realize, but they haven't Mm. heard their own voice in so long that they can't recognize it. 
So we need to get you to a space where you can actually start to recognize your own voice and your own self and your own passions in, in moments of quiet. And then beyond that, that's kind of what the book is about. It literally is like a handbook to walk you through the different steps. So first we have you figure out, you know, what are your talents? How have you been crafted and created to bring something specific into the world? What are you exceedingly good at? And we have exercises that walk you through how to put language to that. We talk about what's your story? Like what are what is the message of your life? What are what does your heart uniquely break for? And so we walk you through how to kind of get through that kind of analysis of yourself. And then finally we go, well, and then how do you get active? So let's not just have this be more insight. The writer Jefferson Bethke, he talks about how we're informationally obese. And <laughs> I think that's so true. Like mm. we all just have all this stuff, and especially in the self-help world that I often operate in. We're learning more, but we don't do anything with it. So the last yeah. part of the book is like, how do you translate that into action? So that would be my you know, recommendation for folks is start with some sort of practice that allows you to start to hear yourself, recognize yourself. That can be the reclaim the morning practice if you like, but whatever helps you to do that. And then start to go through those steps of identifying your talents, your heart, and your influence in the world. And I want to say, I, I hope you listening, head on out. You can do it as soon as you're done with this episode and buy Life Starts Now. You guys know I'm super passionate about supporting Black women and their work. And there was a little bit ago where I just realized I, I had all these students tagging me on um, who was your first Black teacher. And I teach college. And so I realized, oh my goodness, people are not experiencing Black leadership Wow. sometimes until they sit in my classroom, right? So we have opportunities to support Black thinkers and thought leaders. And so I really hope that you buy Life Starts Now because I know, I know from my conversations with you guys how much we need help in these areas of how do I get unstuck? What am I supposed to do? How do I stop waiting? I have so many people that talk to me about waiting. I want you to talk to me. You say something that I really I think is interesting. You say, Chanel, what does it mean to redeem your story? What does that look like? You talk about how you help people redeem their story. Yeah. I think that um, there is always a redemptive element to our life. I think everything comes out mm. in the wash and I think that we live, we're all living in a redemptive narrative, right? Whether or not we realize it. And so that's not to say, I'm not one of those people that goes like, bad, terrible things happen to you so that, you know, you could teach a lesson to someone else. <laughs> I, that has never been a comforting right. message to me. No, thank you. Hard pass. Mm. But mm. what I do see is that every event that's happened to us or word that's been spoken over us has the capacity for some level of redemption, meaning that it can be used. So kind of that idea of maybe you intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. kind of concept, right? And I, I do see that. I've seen it in my own life. Of I had a really difficult upbringing, very confusing, very conflicted with my parents. They were lovely, amazing people who did the best they could. But, you know, they were a Black man from Alabama <laughs> and, you know, a Black woman who grew up in Ohio. And they um, grew up with very difficult circumstances and all the odds against them in the 30s and 40s. Mm. And as a result of that, I inherited so many of the challenges and also many of the victories too that they'd you know, gone through in their life. And I've seen time and time again, the different moments where I'm like, wow, God, you were like setting me up for that, <laughs> right? Like mm. this thing that happened to me 
it has given me what I now call life equity. It's like given me some sort of investment in a particular area of brokenness, or it's given me a sensitivity that I wouldn't have otherwise. Um, It's given me inspiration for um, like a desire and a motivation to want to change certain things in the world that other people probably miss. And if I allow that to be redemptive, if if I allow that to be a space where I can say, okay, what can be done with that? Like, I know that was terrible. How can that be used for good now? What can I do with that actual pain or that disappointment or that disillusionment? How can I shift that? I find that that's where some of my greatest impact comes in the world because it's the Mm. space of my greatest equipping. So I encourage, you know, as many of the, you know, folks that I work with, I'm like, find the redemptive story, find the redemptive message that's embedded in your own life. What is the difference between being a person of significance and a person of consequence? Yeah, I think people who are people of significance, they are success seeking. It's really about being externally formed. So it's a little heady, but just the idea of I am looking to some sort of reference point outside of myself to validate my worth, to give me approval um, or permission for how I live my life, right? To say that I'm on the right track. And as a result of that, I probably experience a strong sense of burnout, (laughs) Um, disconnection Mm. from myself, like we were talking about earlier. I feel pressure. I'm probably trying to fulfill a family script and all these other things that lead me to live a life that maybe feels highly dissatisfying. And I think people of consequence are people who realize that I don't have to measure up to anything for anybody else. God has already declared me good and has already said that I'm enough. And so I recognize that I can be internally formed. And also Mm -hmm. I realize that when I show up, I always think of it as like, you're a stone in the water. It's not about me trying to make a splash and have an impact. It's recognizing that the ripples of culture will inevitably move around me because I'm giving Mm. shape to the water, right? Because I'm there. So a person of consequence shows up fully as themselves and they give shape to whatever context that they're in by living out their true and authentic identity. That's hard. And it's, can feel a little bit vague. But again, that's the importance of putting language to that, of what does it mean for me to be my authentic self? And how do I maintain that and hold on to it with integrity in every space I find myself in? I actually really love the image that you just painted of being a pillar in the water instead of always trying to make a splash. Yes. Right. Because that's what I think we see so much of that. We're a country that is so desperately in need of some really thoughtful leadership and not just splash makers, right? Um, Talk to me about the five postures of identity formation you encourage people to practice. Yeah. Um, So these are really rooted in this idea of how do we sustain um, our identity? How do we stay on track and not get distracted by what's out there in the world? And so part of that is um, maintaining that space of silence, right? That's that reclaim the morning kind of idea. Mm -hmm. How do you maintain a place of quiet in your life? How do you rest? 
recognizing that my value does not come from the efforts of my hand, that I'm like a human being, not a human doing. So it's okay Mm. for me to suspend activity at points. So I want to be someone who's radically committed to rest shout out to like the nap ministry. (laughs) That's all about that. I was like, yes, this girl after my own heart. Um, And then you've got um, the idea of gratitude. Gratitude, I think helps us. I kind of struggle with anxiety and I've helped a lot of folks in therapy with anxiety. So I think gratitude is always an important practice because it helps to reorient us and focus on you know, the the good (laughs) and what we have rather than that space of lack. We also want to do generosity. How do I give to others? And that's actually where that abundance comes from. That idea that Mm. I have enough so I can give because I know it will be replaced. It's also my little nod to my mama because my mom used to say, you know, when we give things away, we create space in our lives for God to give us something else. And so it's important Mm. to continue that cycle in our life. And then the last one is play. And that's just like having fun. I think especially when we talk about life purpose and calling and vocation. These feel like these very serious conversations. They're so esoteric. And I think play reminds us not to take ourselves too seriously and stay creative. Mm. So those are the five postures, but you can read more about them and the details and kind of the importance of them in the book. What do you find to be challenging as you set out? Obviously, you're a content creator, author, how do you transfer what you do in your real life to what you're doing in your online community? Is there a thought switch for you? What is building online community for you look like? Yeah, such a great question because I'm wrestling with this day to day. What I have found that is the one guiding principle for me is to ask myself, is this true? Right? I think the things that resonate mm. most online are things that are true. I had a, this is so appropriate because it's viral Jesus. I had a post that I did towards the beginning of the pandemic where I was in a bathrobe. Um, I am a black woman. My hair was not done that day. I had just, it had been wash day. And so (laughs) it was pulled into this bun. I was looking messed up. I did not have makeup on. I was sitting in my office on the floor in tears because I just had a devotional time. And I felt like this overwhelming moment of the spirit, just kind of saying this idea of we're enough and it's okay to be ordinary and that we have what it takes, that we have all been created for such a moment and for such a time as this. And that was the piece that was like weighing on me. And so I just felt this compulsion of go online and just say it, don't edit it. Don't put a filter on it. Don't make it pretty. There was no strategy. I just went live <laughs> and I started talking and all of a sudden in, you know, a few minutes, like 11,000 people had shared it or something or, it, you know, it's, oh my goodness. Viewed. And I was like, uh, okay, okay. Like I've never, and mind you, never since then have I had a moment like that. It was just this blip, but I think it was the raw honesty of me being mm. true to what was really happening in my life, true to what I saw and putting that out and connecting human to human. You know, I was listening to one of your episodes from the past and you were talking about, you know, communication. It's like about actual connection with people and relationship. And I think that keeping that orientation helps me. So yeah, I don't, I don't know of a clear strategy, right. Um, that I could share as a content creator, but I think the one thing I try to adhere to is 
be honest, like have a radical commitment to the truth. Chanel Dokun is the author of Life Starts Now, and you can get this book wherever books are sold. Chanel, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time when social media has so many negatives, honestly, swirling around it, at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of how they are communicating their faith, both online and off. So I want to ask you, how do you choose to be a redemptive voice? in the online space? Um, I choose to do something that's a little bit weird. (laughs) Um, I try as best I can to directly communicate with every single follower. Um, Mm. I haven't done this as much. It's been a little bit crazy in these weeks with the book coming out. So there's a lot more communication than there typically has been in my life. Right. But usually if you start following me, you'll see, I usually will DM you and I'll ask you, how do you take your coffee? And I love that question because I just think it's like such a human, like when you get to know someone, how they take their coffee says a lot about them. And it's just so basic. And I like to think of um, showing up and entering the chat. I like to enter the chat as like a real person. And I Mm -hmm. like to think of it as if this was happening offline, how would I interact with you? What would I say? What would we do? And I almost visualize we're sitting in my living room. Like you just walked up to my front door. I invited you into my living room. Let me get you a cup of coffee. How do you take your coffee? Right. Let's have a human moment together and then let's move into whatever the thing is that we want to talk about. So that's how I like to show up. I don't know if I always do it it well, but that's what I'm attempting to do. I take my coffee with lots of cream and lots of sugar. So if we're ever together... You know, I got you. <laughs> Chanel Dokun is the author of Life Starts Now. Why are you waiting? Pick up this book right now. Life starts right now. Thank you so much, Chanel. I love Chanel. I love learning from her. I hope you will keep learning from her. Actually, I hope you'll follow her online. I hope you buy the book. But let me tell you something she said that I just want to echo it here to close out this episode because you don't have to wait to start doing this, by the way. Like you can do this tomorrow. I want you to do what she said when she said, reclaim your morning. When I started to shift my mindset into believing that my anointing began the day I believed I had one, the very first thing that changed in my life was I started getting up and having worship every single morning. I set my alarm for 5 a.m. on weekdays. I would just get up and sit and spend time with myself and spend time with God. And I'm positive that that practice has so deeply impacted and enriched my spiritual life. I cannot even tell you the fruit that has been born from me deciding to set my alarm earlier and get up and meet with Jesus. I just decided one day that I couldn't keep saying I didn't have time to have worship. I needed to make time. If I truly believed that the entire purpose of my life was to be in relationship with God and to lead other people to God and to live out this call of the gospel over my life. If I truly believed that, why was I not prioritizing God every single day and making sure I was making time to be met by the Holy Spirit, to make myself available? 
It's wild to me that we will say there is nothing more important to us than God or our faith. And then we will we will not spend time with God or we won't have Bible study or read scripture or just even get on our knees and pray. How many times do we sit and think about something and worry over it and worry over it? And then like days later, like, oh, maybe I should pray about that thing. Or hours later, hey, maybe I should pray about that thing. Why aren't we first and foremost going to God? with our problems. I can tell you, I have had God call me out on this in my own life and say, Heather, have you even talked to me about it yet? Like you're acting like this is a mountain that just can't be climbed and you haven't even brought it to me. Why don't you first bring it to me? And so, man, I just want you to start spending time with God every single day. And maybe you're not a morning person. Okay, fine then you need to reclaim your evening. How's that? And if you aren't a reader, I, I remember this one time my dad said to me, because I said every person should be reading their Bible. You know how like when you first become like serious as a Christian, you become incredibly um, like religiously zealous. And I was telling my dad one day who was an evangelist and so much of my spiritual experience really is a mirror reflection of what I saw in my father. But I remember saying to him one day, like, I just can't believe that every Christian isn't reading their Bible cover to cover every single year. And my dad said to me, oh, is God only saving readers? And so if you're not a reader, uh, maybe for you, it's just getting up and going on a walk and playing some, some hymns or some music that does gospel music that speaks to you or listening to the Bible on audio. I'm just saying we have got to start prioritizing God in our everyday lives. Friend, this world is not going to get better. I personally think things are going to get so much more complicated and difficult. And so what's going to be required to sustain your journey is going to look different to meet the heavy conflicts that we have being seen in this world. And I just want you to have your own daily relationship with God. This is the thing, like we can't have a relationship to God through me or through your pastor or through your favorite Instagram influencer. Like you get to have a relationship with God yourself and nobody else has to mediate that relationship for you. It is this incredible invitation and opportunity that every single one of us gets. Let me tell you something. Your anointing begins the day you believe you have one. So tonight, I want you to set your alarm and wake up believing there is a purpose to your life and that it starts right now and that the only way to truly discover what it means to walk in a life or live a life in a calling worthy of the gospels to live a life with an intimate daily relationship with Jesus. I want all of us to heal from the life we thought we should have. And I think the way we do that is to be present in the life we do have right now in front of us. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next episode, we will talk with Nona Jones about how we can heal from always comparing ourselves 
to people we were never meant to be. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus.